You are listening to Inside Healthcare, a podcast presented by NCQA. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Inside Healthcare's mini episodic series, A View from the Summit. This wraps up our limited series of live interviews recorded at NCQA's first annual Health Innovation Summit, held this year, 2022, in Washington, D.C. And if you couldn't make it, and I understand if you couldn't, we got over 1,300 people here, we sold out, we ran out of room, so if you weren't in time to register, please keep your eyes on ncqa.org and ncqasummit.com for details about next year. Yes, we are doing this again, our second Health Innovation Summit, which I believe will be in Orlando in November of 2023. For now, it's been an amazing week for me personally and professionally. You cannot understand this incredible organization, NCQA, provided the podcast with a full freestanding podcast booth. And the fact that we designed the booth with clear walls implied how the audience, the participants here this week, should feel a part of what we're doing and feel free to drop in, get on the mic and tell us all about their work and their experiences here this week at the summit. Now, in this mini-episode, we explore a common topic of discussion on Inside Healthcare, value-based models of care. Whether it's talking about payment models or patient-centered outcome metrics, healthcare and health equity will only improve when the healthcare ecosystem sees the individual patient at its hub. Jaywan Ryu. MD, JD, is president and CEO of Geisinger, an integrated delivery system with clinical enterprise, health plan, the Geisinger Commonwealth School of Medicine, and research and innovation functions, all operating in central and northeastern Pennsylvania. Dr. Ryu came to Geisinger from Humana, where he was president of integrated care delivery and responsible for the company's owned and joint ventured care delivery assets. Outside of Geisinger, Dr. Ryu serves on the Medicare Payment Advisory Commission, MedPAC, a body legislatively tasked with advising Congress on payment and other policies governing health plans and providers serving Medicare beneficiaries. Dr. Ryu earned his BA degree from Yale University and his MD and JD from the University of Chicago. He completed his residency training in emergency medicine at Harbor UCLA Medical Center. And as we hear from Dr. Yu today, it's difficult and complex work to change the paradigm of traditional healthcare. But the sooner we focus on the patient, the faster things will improve for everyone. You know, we believe that when we, and we see that when we have folks in a value-based payment environment where we have both the care but also the coverage, i.e. the insurance arm or our ACO arm, we're able to deliver care in just fundamentally different ways. And, and I think it sort of removes all of the weird incentives that are there in a fee-for-service payment world and allows you to just focus on care models that get upstream and solve for health. And um, I think you're able to do that regardless of which kinds of uh, payment methodologies um, the patient may be in, whether it's Medicaid, Medicare, commercial populations, uh, we're able to just focus on the improvement as opposed to, you know, well, the unit reimbursement for this line of business is this versus that is that. I think that's part of the flaw around uh, conventional healthcare across the industry is when it's, when it's fee-for-service, I think it creates weird incentives. I mean, it's, it's forgivable and understandable that by this point, there's so many different fee-for-service-based 
kinds of uh, modes of being able to deliver care. But by this point, when we start talking about equity, equity is not a panacea. It's not a pill. It's not a single uh, uh, you know, item that we use and we just hand it to somebody and say, oh, well, for this population, uh, we have a special program for... Equity, the way that we're talking about it at the summit this week, is an underlying philosophy that needs to become a fundamental uh, beneath everything that we're doing. I think that's right, and it needs to be uh, something that folks are aware of as you're developing care models, as you're developing payment methodologies, to make sure that the end result of those things um, is a more equitable world uh, and more equitable healthcare delivery model versus less. And I think um, you know having that awareness, having that front of mind, is a big part of you know what we try to do at Geisinger. So I'm going to ask. Typically, my last question, I'm going to ask that now, right. which is, um, uh, say, 10 years from now, what do you want the outcomes to be? And usually it's easier, I, I say it's easier to give a, like an operational definition. Instead of trying to put it into ambiguous words, provide me an example or two, a situation that this is the way things really should be, and 10 years down the line, I think we can get there. Yeah, so I think um, if I think about that future, it's not even just what we want it to be. I think it's what it needs to be, which is a care model that's further upstream, you know, further um, uh, into the home, into the communities, into the clinics, as opposed to being downstream in settings like the emergency room or the hospitals and so forth. Um, if you think about why it needs to be that way, I think one is affordability. Um, when you wait for things to get so bad or when you have a care model that uh, spring loads people to land in places like the ER or the hospital, it's pricier, you know, and I don't think we as a country can, can afford that kind of model, um, certainly not sustainable. I think the other reason is, you know, we talk a lot about labor, the summit has focused a lot about labor, and um, it, I'll use the example that I used yesterday on the panel, if you have a patient who's got congestive heart failure, and you uh, take IV diuretics and hang them in the living room to keep that congestive heart failure uh, very well managed, you might need a couple people to do that. Maybe you might even be able to do it with one. But when that same patient, their congestive heart failure gets so bad that they land in the ER, and God forbid they need to be admitted, you know, you're looking at 15 to 20 different people that need to touch that patient to get them back on their feet again and back home. Yeah. That's a very labor-intensive world, a lot more efficient, a lot more affordable when you can move that care further upstream or, you know, what we often say is one click over, so to speak. The delivery model of value-based payment, value-based healthcare, uh, can also be implied as what we call person-centered outcomes. So when you have a person-centered orientation, that means that somebody going to the doctor, one way or however they're communicating with the PCP with the clinician, yeah. the clinician knows they're supposed to be doing more listening than talking. And that also in includes making sure that they find out from the patient what the patient wants their outcomes to be, as opposed to saying, well, clinically, I'm going to give you this and this and this, and, here's, and you should be feeling better. It's not necessarily that. It, it should be turned around. Yeah, it gets to uh, how do you engage patients. I, I was in a conversation yesterday with somebody uh, during one of the breaks, and uh, he asked a question which I thought was spot on. You know, how do you engage patients? Uh, because so much of managing disease, managing chronic disease, is about behavior change. 
And I think that gets to the heart of what you're asking about, which is physicians and the care model also need to be um, thinking not just about the clinical aspects, but also about how do you engage patients to make it easier for them to get the kinds of services they need, but also uh, by doing so that they become more uh, involved and interested in improving their health. And I think you know one example of that that I talked about um, is the fresh food pharmacy. We have a fresh food pharmacy program that takes uh, food people that are quote unquote food insecure yeah. and have clinical conditions that are not optimally managed, specifically um, diet sensitive conditions like uh, diabetes, uh, but also congestive heart failure, also renal disease, and enrolls them in a program where they can have access to fresh produce, lean meats, but probably more importantly, have the coaching and nutrition services to um, inform and educate on how to prepare those foods in a more healthy way. And when we've uh, launched that program and gotten people enrolled, we see that ER visits go down, hospital visits go down, and their diabetes is better managed. In fact, twice as well managed than what we see when they optimize their medications. So I think that's a good example of engaging patients by making it easier for them to make those better life um, kind of decisions or, or paths because it's not always easy. Um, you know, the easiest thing is oftentimes unhealthy food, but if we could flip it where we say the easier option is healthier food, the easier option is clinic, the easier option is the home versus, you know, sort of having a system that drives everything into the ER and into the hospitals, that's the world we're shooting for. We talked on the show about equity. One of the issues of uh, underserved populations are what some clinicians call food deserts. Oh yeah. So this is, but what you're talking about is more than just providing food. The the way to rebuild trust in in populations that have been historically ignored, even once you start paying attention again, they still feel that way and they have a distrust. You need to have a personable uh, approach. Um, and one of the interesting things, if there's any silver lining to how things have been the last two or three years, is the increase in telehealth. People start remembering that even though someone's on a screen, they do start feeling a sense of relationship with them. Although the interesting thing, like you said, is when as soon as somebody goes into a hospital with something serious, relatively serious, all of a sudden there's a team. And somebody is quarterbacking the team, and you'll have an ID, and you'll have the anesthesiologist, and you'll have other recommenders. And it's amazing as a way of working together as a team, but as the patient, you feel like someone's knocking on your door every 15 minutes, and there's such a comfort to having hospital at home as an option. Yeah, I think, um, you know, whether it's hospital at home or sometimes we call it just care in the home, you know, uh, care management in the home and extending that to also have care services in the home. It's a more convenient way, and I think it's a differentiated way. I think it, it yields that relational aspect versus, I think hospitals tend to be more transactional. Um, ERs tend to be very transactional, but when you're trying to establish a longitudinal relationship with patients, and we know that that's important when it comes to that interpersonal, like how do you engage someone? Well, you're unlikely to engage them in a transactional interaction you're more likely to engage them and influence behavior and make things easier on them if you're in a relational kind of environment and interaction. And, and I think that's yet another value around why uh, the more you can move care into those environments, the better off we're all. Being. And if it's somebody with a lifestyle changing chronic illness, 
every time they go into a clinic of some sort, it feels more episodic. Oh, I'm dealing with this today. Okay, then I'm done. Okay, well, I fit, it was done. It, this isn't about finding uh, solutions right away. It's about trying to imply that you are on a healthcare journey. You tell us what the outcome should be. We help to get you to that point. Tell me about, in terms of Geisinger and, and the, uh, the company and the view that you have from there, um, how do you help people who are in network as well as people who are out of network? Yeah, so I think what you're getting at is how do we help people who we bear the risk, we have them in our insurance versus folks who come to us even though they have other insurance, and we do both is the bottom line. And I think uh, we like doing both because it allows us to scale and treat as many people as possible. And so, of course, um, the, the ways that we're able to touch the population are, are deeper when we touch them not just as patients but also as members of our health plan. But even if they're not, we're still able to impact their health in many ways. You know, the clinical programs, um, whether it's for seniors, whether it's for underserved populations, whether it's tertiary care, we're a big, you know, tertiary care sort of almost like an academic medical center um, in many ways, our larger campuses for sure. Um, when we're able to impact people's health and get them better and back on their feet, our whole communities benefit. And so I think it's important for us to play in both worlds. Geisinger President and CEO, Dr. Jaywan Ryu, wrapping up our limited podcast sub-series, A View from the Summit. Always more to come from NCQA and from this podcast. And if you like us, follow NCQA on LinkedIn and Twitter. Spread the word to colleagues and fellows. Use and search for the hashtag Inside Healthcare on LinkedIn and help us continue to grow. In the next few weeks, I'll feature on this podcast more interviews, full interviews with speakers and thinkers from this year's inaugural Health Innovation Summit. For now, on behalf of NCQA's award-winning communications team and coming to you live from the Glass Enclosed Podcast Center at the Marriott Marquis Hotel in Washington, D.C., I'm producer and senior multimedia specialist Dave Smolar. We'll see you again, no doubt. You've been listening to Inside Healthcare, a podcast brought to you by NCQA, the National Committee for Quality Assurance. Inside Healthcare is available on your computer or mobile device through Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and on our blog at blog.ncqa.org forward slash podcast. <laughs>